This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A Scottish couple has plans to take a road trip from the North Pole to the South Pole, and they picked an interesting vehicle for the journey. Pretty interesting journey, I would think. We'll tell you all about that coming up. A new company is planning to offer virtual reality entertainment experiences for viewing in the car. We'll have details on that, too, and probably some comment. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Well, I'm Jack Neared. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most out of your cars. Chris, you couldn't do the show last week because you hurt yourself kind of in an unusual way. Uh, Tell us what happened. Yeah. uh, Anybody listening under the age of 30, please take care of yourself before you reach almost 40. Uh, Just a shoulder injury, Jack, doing uh, some yard work. You know, it's really funny. You don't ever expect it to happen. And then you wake up the next day and feel like you got hit by a bus. But uh, I'll tell you what I wasn't doing last week is winning the lottery because uh, I scratched off several tickets and took all the numbers and didn't win a dollar. And did your dog have anything to do with this? I mean, I I think you felt the symptoms when you were lifting your dog, right? And thought lifting the dog might have caused this. Yeah, funny enough, my dog also has joint problems, too, so he has to be picked up and put in the car and pick him up, and my shoulder felt something wrong with my shoulder, and the very next day, uh, it was pretty rough, but uh, glad to be back and not needing surgery, which was the big concern. Ah, well, I'm glad to hear that, and I had an interesting week because my new book, Dance in the Dark, was published on Sunday. It's now available on Amazon, so you might want to look for that. It's a suspense thriller, kind of a follow-up to my uh, true crime book, Fatal Photographs, so look for that. Uh, You have a road test vehicle, Chris. What is it? I drove the uh, all-new, well, it's not all-new this year, the 2023 Subaru BRZ. It's improved over the previous generation. I can't wait to tell you about it. Yeah, and I will be road testing the all-new 2023 Nissan Ariya battery electric SUV. Uh, That's the secret uh, answer to a question in this show. I had a chance to drive it during the North American Car of the Year testing in Michigan recently. I'll have a detailed report for you. We also have a great interview for you. Mark Boll is vice president and head of battery solutions for General Motors. So he has some interesting things to say. Uh, Before we do anything else, though, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto information from around the world. So stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red. Stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, and we're so glad Chris is back with us, and he doesn't need surgery. That's even better news. Uh, this is Jack Nerad with you, and uh, it is news time, and uh, I picked this out of the news. This is, uh, I love road trips. I think you probably love road trips, too. I know you've talked about them on the show, Chris, and, but this is a road trip beyond probably anything we'd ever contemplate. This is a, a, a pair of Scottish people, Chris and Julie Ramsey, will attempt to become the first people to drive from the North Pole to the South Pole. They're actually driving from the magnetic North Pole, so not precisely the North Pole, but uh, the magnetic North Pole to the South Pole. And they want to do it in a vehicle that we're going to talk about on the show, the Nissan Araya. <laughs> and picking an electric to do this, I mean, that's a head scratcher right there, isn't it, Chris? 
It is, but for Nissan or for whomever, it's a great uh, opportunity to show off what an EV can do, especially in those conditions, because, uh, you know, pr- pretty cold up north. And then, you know, the, there's going to be some roads and things that are missing along the way. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it turns out. Yeah, I think uh, once you leave the snowy, uh, horrible climbs and, you know, get into uh, more normal things, uh, for a long way, you can do pretty well. And then you run into some really bad weather again and some inability to charge. I mean, they completed the Mongol rally. That's a 10,000-mile rally in a Nissan Leaf. This is several years ago now, in, in 2017. So they're veterans of this. Oddly, they live in the center of the European petroleum industry in Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, but they're doing this in an electric vehicle. And... Uh, this vehicle has a range of around 300 miles on a charge, and they're not going to modify the powertrain, which I found fascinating, too, uh, because electrics really don't like the cold too much, do they? They don't. You might end up with a reduced range, slower charging, a whole bunch of other things that could happen there, too. But uh, again, this is going to be a tough trip for them, so I hope they have some support. Yeah, I mean, they do have a ton of support, including charging. I mean, you complain about the uh, charging in, in Maine. I complain about the charging here in Southern California for different reasons. But they're building a portable wind turbine to uh, and solar panels to help them charge. I mean, I'm not sure that they're going to get a ton of electricity out of that uh, that setup. Uh, I think they're, maybe some other things are also going to come into play there. There might even be some uh, maybe diesel fuel running generators in the background or something like that. But they're going to start in Edmonton, Canada in February, and they'll be going to uh, South America, the final leg, after taking a flight, not precisely a drive to Antarctica, but I don't think you can do that. Is that something you'd contemplate ever, Chris? Something you'd like to do? If I had no rush and could stop and charge, or as you say, use solar panels and hang out with a generator for a little while, yeah, I would have absolutely no no problem doing that. I mean, uh, the world is changing, Jack, so <laughs> I'm going to have to get on board with it at some point and, and stop complaining about charging and do something about it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, when you're charging, of course, you're using fossil fuels, but uh, let's keep that in the background. So that's interesting. Here's an interesting thing, too, and uh, I, I'd love to have your comment on this because uh, this is a company called Haloride, and uh, they um, plan to have virtual reality entertainment for the car in-vehicle, the in-vehicle entertainment market. They're a spin-off of Audi. Audi is going to be the first uh, auto brand to feature this. And I'm, I'm just wondering about this. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a Luddite. <laughs> Undoubtedly, I'm a Luddite, not maybe. Uh, but, you know, what's your take on all of this? We've talked about this a bunch of times. In the current automotive, I guess, landscape, if you want to call it that, you know, we don't have driverless cars. There's no way to get in a car and go without you or someone being in control of it. Uh, and I can see where this technology is looking forward, right? Looking forward to the day when there's no steering wheel or gas pedal or anything for people to worry about. Uh, and you need something to do with your time, but we're not there yet. So uh, these things sound really futuristic right now, and they would be if they were implemented. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they trickle this stuff in before we get to the point of driverless cars or if we ever get to that point. Uh, but right now, I think it's too much, but we'll see. <laughs> they plan immersive VR entertainment experiences for passengers. The interesting thing is you're in a uh, reality experience yourself while you're driving in the car, right? I mean, uh, I'm not sure that I need an entertainment experience, but I think uh, so many of us now want to be entertained 24-7, 365. I mean, I think if we could pump uh, entertainment into our dreams, we would do it. 
it's it's interesting that this is going to appear you know, next year. They introduced this. I thought this was amusing too. They introduced this not at an auto show or anything like that. They introduced it at South by Southwest. <laughs> well, that's likely their audience. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure that uh, the folks at South by Southwest are always seeing reality. Uh, I think a lot of those people, you know, maybe some of that stuff isn't real that they're seeing. Well, I don't know. My wife doesn't appreciate me being on my phone when we're in the car together. I could not imagine wearing a, a headset while we're in the car together. That would probably not fly very far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've gone on road trips and I'm the driver and everybody else is asleep. Uh, and you feel kind of, you know, separated from the whole group in that kind of situation. I, I think if everybody were wearing virtual reality headsets as you were driving around, you'd probably feel you know, kind of equally separated and just the chauffeur, right? Yeah, it would be a little, little lonely in the car. Yeah. Well, here is news from uh, a company that uh, actually is a company I worked for 30 years ago, Mazda. And they're planning to uh, tweak their strategy yet again. <laughs> this is something that Mazda does frequently. And their strategy had been kind of just thrown in a hat by a bunch of legislation from around the globe, uh, including here in the United States. But uh, they have a plan to have an EV strategy. At, at the same time, Mazda is going away from the, the Zoom Zoom fun cars and introducing a lot of large SUVs. So that's their plan going forward. And it kind of makes sense because that's what people are actually buying. They're buying a lot more large SUVs than they're buying electric vehicles. But uh, I mean, what's your take on that? You know, can Mazda pull that off? I think they can. You know, they're introducing some some hybrid powertrains and things to go with that sort of shift to uh, larger SUVs. It's going to take some getting used to for people like us. I think you and I have talked about this a bunch of times, the, the Mazda 3, even the, the outgoing or the previous Mazda 6. Uh, great fun cars to drive. And so it's going to be a change for us to look at Mazda and see a different image or see a different uh, driving attitude there. Uh, but, you know, that's like you say, people, that is what people are buying. So they have they probably don't have much of a choice. Yeah, and it's interesting, the, the juxtaposition, right, of EV and then the large SUVs, large conventional SUVs. I mean, and I think a company is wise to pursue both these days, not just one or the other. And we see some companies doing one, some companies doing the other. We see some companies, General Motors strikes me as a, a company that's jumping uh, with both feet into EVs. I mean, they're advertising EVs on TV right now that you can't buy and won't be able to buy for another two or three years. <laughs> I really wonder, uh, you know, what, what uh, Chevy dealers feel about that. Yeah, you know, all that interest is driving uh, people's eyeballs to the Bolt and the Bolt EUV, which are on sale right now, and which you probably can't actually go to a dealership and buy. But you're right, you can't, even the Hummer EV, which is out now, you can't, you know, I think they're sold out for at least a year or two on that. So even the vehicles that are around are, are way down the road. So, uh, you know, I can't wait to see, you know, the end of next year. I think General Motors is going to have a big showing. Ford's going to have a great showing. It'll be interesting to see where Mazda lands. Others uh, like Nissan, you're going to talk about the Araya in a moment. So uh, the the approaches are all different speeds and all different directions. So I can't wait to see how they all pan out. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. And we'll see whether the consumer can catch up with that. Because I think in many cases, the uh, manufacturers are way ahead of the consumer in the desire to adopt an, an electric vehicle. And uh, we'll just have to see how that plays out. Well, when we play out in the next segment, we will have, I think, a pretty interesting a bunch of road test vehicles for you. The Subaru BRZ, fun fun to drive. And the Nissan Araya, uh, that's, I, I, drove, I didn't drive it from the North Pole to the South Pole, I have to admit that. 
I did drive it in a little bit of cold weather and it was rainy, uh, but we will have that. So uh, that's coming up when we come back with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Stay with us. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Red with you. And it is road test time. And we have some, I, I, I think, real interesting vehicles this time around. I, I got so excited there, I barely could spit out the words. I'm so excited at the vehicles we're driving. Uh, the Subaru BRZ, I think an underrated car in a lot of ways. You were driving it. Tell us all about it. I think it is a little bit underrated, but it's also really unique. Uh, you know, you look at the market today and how many cars can you buy today with a manual transmission uh, and rear wheel drive? I mean, you could probably count them on one hand, at least for less than $50,000. Uh, and that's what we have here. So this is, I tested the Subaru BRZ. It's a 2023 model. Uh, it was all new for 2022, Jack. You probably remember this. They updated it with a newer, a larger engine. Uh, better styling and some better uh, performance gear inside, which I'll get to in just a minute. The standard BRZ costs a little bit more than $28,500. My test car was the limited trim, which started at about 31 and came in at almost 33 after taxes and, and destination, all the stuff that comes with it. Uh, the new engine is a 2.4 liter four cylinder. It's a flat four. Uh, it's paired with a six speed manual transmission. You can get an automatic in this car. I haven't tested it. I've heard that it's a solid automatic. Uh, so I guess if you needed that, you would have a good choice there. Wouldn't feel too bad about it. Uh, 228 horsepower, 184 pound feet of torque, zero to 60 in around five and a half seconds. Uh, so that's an improvement over the previous generation. So the 2020, 2021, I think, uh, which was around 205 horsepower. Jack, have you been behind the wheel of the BRZ or the Toyota GR86? They're actually very close. I have, and I like them a lot. And I, I think they are screaming deals right now. You know, at that kind of pricing, that kind of fun. I don't know that this is a vehicle for everybody in this era where two doors and sports cars just don't seem to be the it thing. But, boy, I think these are uh, both the vehicles you identify the, and the Subaru BRZ in particular. Screaming deal. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you want to compare it to something that people might shop against it, like the Volkswagen GTI, I've got one of those in the driveway. The GTI feels more substantial. It feels more uh, luxurious, I guess. But if you want the sports car feeling, you want to feel the steering wheel, you want to get the sort of butt and seat feel, you can hear the, the engine and feel it in your thighs when you're driving down the road. The BRZ, the Toyota GR86, they have that sort of raw feeling to them, which I don't think a lot of cars do. Um, and on the other side of that, or the flip side of that, I guess, is that it's a little louder inside. There's more wind noise and engine noise. So not a luxury car, but you're probably not going to spend 30 grand on a sports car with two doors and expect to get like a, a Lexus experience. Uh, so inside the standard uh, BRZ comes with a cloth interior. The, the limited has an Alcantara, like a synthetic suede feel to it. Really nice seats, very supportive. Uh, I'm a little too wide for this. I feel like this is the second car in the last six months. I've told you that, that my rear is too wide for the seats. Maybe it's a sign uh, that I need to go talk to my gym a little bit more. Uh, but you know, the inside of this car is perfectly comfortable. There's surprising amount of storage in here. The cup holders are large. There's a good storage amount, amount of storage in the doors. Uh, and it's got a lift up, uh, hatchback and or not, I'm sorry. It does not have a lift up hatchback, even though it looks like it. Uh, but the trunk that slides underneath the rear seat is very spacious. You could take a couple of, uh, golf clubs, sets of golf clubs, a couple of suitcases. So, uh, two people could take this car on a weekend away and have no problems whatsoever. Uh, inside eight inch display, Apple CarPlay, Android auto, eight speakers, uh, Jack, you know, we talk about how tall I am on every show and I'm going to go through this this time. I'm six feet tall. Uh, this car, I would not try to fit car seats in the back of it. Uh, we put 
my kids in with booster seats. And even that was a little bit uh, scrunchy. My six, my six-year-old had trouble fitting and my nine-year-old could not fit at all. So uh, I would just say, if you're going to use this as your weekend car, count on it being uh, just kind of limited between you and one other person, or maybe just you with some suitcases in the car. So uh, Jack, I took this thing on a road trip uh, by myself, actually up the coast, a couple hours and back down. And uh, I think it's a great, a great fun car, you know, for the money, if I had to spend, or if I wanted to spend money on a performance car, uh, I'd probably get something like this because it's easy to drive at the limit and you're not going to spend a bunch of money doing it. Yeah. I just think it's uh, such a value and that kind of car, you know, just you and the road, a lot of times, uh, you know, find a great road, have a great car like that, that doesn't cost a ton of money that you can kind of drive close to its limits a lot of times. And, you know, just have fun with. You know, it's not the fastest or the best handling of all cars, but it's just terrific, terrific fun. And uh, I'd love to have a vehicle like that. Yeah. And, you know, for the people who love to do that sort of thing, the tuning aftermarket support for these cars uh, is superb. You know, people figured out how to turbocharge these engines. There's all sorts of suspension modifications. Uh, you know, I don't have time to do that or a place to do it right now, but that was once my, that's how I got into cars in the first place. Uh, and so it's all there if you want it. Well, I was driving the Nissan Araya, and this is a vehicle that, uh, in some ways, I, I think uh, maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity for Nissan because they were ahead of the game in electrics. Of course, they have had the Leaf in the market for a long, long time, and you know, pretty well respected, a, a, a leader among the global automakers in electric vehicles. They were originally going to launch the Araya in the United States in 2021. And then they didn't. I think we had a big disease and a lot of things were happening uh, that stood in the way. But uh, now they're launching and it seems like they're playing catch up with a vehicle that I think is really terrific. And if it had been introduced two years ago, it would have been groundbreaking. Uh, I, I think this is a really, really good vehicle. It is a compact SUV, crossover SUV, as so many of them are in uh, being launched right now, EVs from a bunch of different places. From certainly, Kia has one, Toyota has one, Volvo has one, Subaru even has one. So it's again, it seems like Nissan's playing catch up when they, they actually were leading. And just a darn good vehicle all the way around. It looks great, and the uh, on the outside and the interior is just uh, kind of a revelation. It is so um, minimalist and yet not stark, not. Uh, doesn't beat you up in any way. It just, it seems cool. I mean, there's a lot of interesting touches to the interior. So it is coming out now. It is not cheap. Prices start at $43,000 or so. This is for the front drive trim. That's a lot of change for a compact SUV. Uh, even a, a compact SUV uh, EV, uh, there's others that are less expensive than that, certainly. And you can get one that will run all the way up to $60,000 plus options. So uh, a lot to um, think about there when it comes to value. But uh, the, the priciest one has a pretty decent range and an all-wheel drive system that's really inventive, uh, that breaks e individual wheels, for example, things like that, that the, the typical all-wheel drive system will not do. The standard features, uh, it has a list as long as a giraffe's neck, uh, really incredible optional 19-inch alloy wheels, frameless mirror, uh, two-tone paint, floor mats, all kinds of stuff, larger battery pack. You can, you can go a lot of directions with this. As I say, a really interesting all-wheel drive system. It's one of those vehicles that's kind of a semi-coupe in a way. What's your take on the styling of the Araya, Chris? 
I like the styling. And to your point, you know, if this thing had landed in 2021 or when they had actually planned for it to come out, it would have been groundbreaking. The styling would have been something uh, that I want to say shame. That's not really the right word, but would have overshadowed some of the the releases like the Ford Mustang Mach-E uh, and would put it in line with like the Kia EV6, which is winning awards for its design and things like that. So the timing was a shame, but the design is beautiful. I haven't driven one, but I have seen one and it's gorgeous. Yeah, they are good looking and, and good looking in person too. And I would say the in, interior even outdoes the exterior. It's just a terrific interior, very inventive, the designers went out of their way to avoid switches and knobs. Now, you know me, Chris. I'm an old guy, and I, we like our switches and knobs. Uh, we like stuff we can actually grab onto. But I kind of gravitated to this, too. They embedded controls into the display, the surrounding area. There's actually controls in the wood trim that have uh, you know, haptic, capacitive kind of uh, feedback to them. It's not exactly like, uh, you know, grabbing a knob, but it's, uh, it gives you some kind of, yes, yeah, something happened here. I, I touched something and something sh should then take place because of that. It has a fold-out tray that can hold a, a laptop or a cheeseburger and fries. I, I prefer the, the latter too. Uh, but uh, that's a great thing. And I don't understand why we don't see more inventive things like that from other automakers. Um, just that just makes so much sense. You throw your laptop down there and, you know, do a little work. You're charging your vehicle, <laughs> you know, sitting there. So you might as well do some work in it. It's got a big interior because it can it can be so roomy because of the, the drivetrain. I mean, everything's out at the corners. Uh, there's nothing uh, intrusive. Uh, they have even moved the air conditioning under what would otherwise be, well, I guess it's still the hood, but where the engine would be, so you don't have that in the cabin. Just a very versatile cabin. And uh, they have good uh, infotainment, uh, homegrown Nissan system, I think is quite a good one. Uh, big 12.3-inch digital display, and then they have a digital display of the same size for instrumentation, so you have this real widescreen look, very clean, very good-looking. Over-the-air updates for all this stuff, uh, Apple CarPlay and all, all that stuff as well. They also use a lot of voice recognition, which I think is, is really wise. And I, you and I probably, I, I certainly had problems with voice recognition early on. These days, I'm, I'm really coming to terms with it and using it a lot. What's your take on that? I am too, you know, and, and we talk about all the, the innovations too, wireless Apple CarPlay, those sorts of things. They're all becoming much better. I wrote an article this morning about how I actually enjoy using wireless Apple CarPlay more than wired now. So uh, these things are coming. And to your point from earlier, Nissan did a great job capitalizing on the EV form factor, right? They don't need a transmission tunnel. They don't need all these things inside the car. So they made some innovative changes and some neat things that would actually make you feel special using the car. So good for them. Yeah, good stuff. Of course, uh, a ton of advanced driver assistance systems, uh, which you would expect, including a new version of ProPilot Assist, which is the Highway Driving Assist program. You can actually use this hands-free as long as you're paying attention and it pays attention to you to make sure that you're paying attention to the car. Uh, so that is good. It'll work even on single lane roads, uh, which is a, a bit of a leap of faith. I mean, often they're, they're on divided highways where the oncoming traffic is not right in your face if something goes wrong. I think that's uh, pretty innovative, of course. And then it has ProPilot Park. It'll park itself uh, if you let it. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure it can find a parking pa place on its own, but I just think this is a, a, a really good vehicle, uh, reasonable amounts of range. It depends on the size of the battery pack. Maybe not the most range, maybe not the most horsepower, uh, not the fastest in a straight line, but I think this is still a, a really excellent vehicle. I can't wait to drive one with this E-Force 
all-wheel drive system. I drove a front drive model, and those the first models will be front drive, but uh, I think it's going to be uh, just a, a big hit out there. Yeah, I think it's a great first effort, and you know, not first effort because they already had an EV on the market, but a great recent first effort. How about that? And if it's indicative of the next few that we're going to see from them, I can't wait to to see what they're going to be because I think that uh, even a, a stripped down or or less fancy version of this or a smaller version of this would be a good seller if they can hit the forty thousand dollar price point. Then we'll be they'll be off to the races. I think it'll be between forty and sixty thousand dollars. You can probably run one up to seventy thousand dollars. Well. I have to see how that plays out too, because uh, this is not going to be built in America either, and so the <laughs> pricing is shaky with all that. But uh, that's going on. When we come back, we have a great interview for you. Mark Bowl is vice president and head of battery solutions for General Motors, and he has some solutions for your house, maybe for your house, your two or three hundred year old house, Chris. So stay stay with us for that. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jackie Red with you. We have a terrific guest. This is a really interesting subject I want to dive into. Mark Bowl is uh, Vice President and Head of Battery Solutions for General Motors. And you've got an interesting thing, not necessarily even vehicle-oriented, although there's some vehicle to it, of course. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, tell us what's going on. This is, this is exciting. It is exciting, Jack, and thanks for your time. Appreciate being with you. Yeah, we're announcing today GM Energy, which is a new business unit within General Motors. It's really going to offer products and services that provide a holistic and comprehensive ecosystem of energy management for our customers. There's going to be three areas specifically. One is going to be called Altium Home, uh, which is for our residential customers. One is Altium Commercial for businesses and fleet customers. And then the third is Ultium Charge 360, which is our public infrastructure already existing brand, which maybe you're familiar with already. Um, all of these areas are really meant to drive growth for General Motors beyond the core vehicle portfolio, but really be linked specifically to the EV. And it's very relevant at this point in time, too, as I think about the resiliency needs of the U.S. electric grid, which we can talk a little bit about. It certainly is important with some of the weather-related issues that have been going on lately, what's happening in California, historically in Texas, currently in Florida. You know, some of the solutions that we'll provide, smart charging solutions for EVs, backup power solutions for your homes and your businesses, we're kind of turning the, we're not kind of, we are turning the EV into something beyond just a mode of transportation to really have the EV batteries be a source of power for you and for your home. Yeah, really exciting stuff. And of course, GM has branded Altium, uh, spent a lot of time pushing that brand out there, different kind of technology than some others in in the space. And I I think that will continue to evolve, right? I mean, but describe to us, especially for a consumer customer, you know, I imagine most of our listeners are consumers and wondering, Mm -hmm. you know, what does this mean to me? Tell us what it does mean to them. Yeah, no, absolutely, Jack. Let's let's give an example for a retail customer in their home. So with the launch of the retail EV Silverado, which is in the fourth quarter of 2023, we'll be providing a suite of home energy management products, we're calling it. And so again, the EV can actually link into the home. The Currently, when you buy an EV, you have unidirectional charging. And so you from the utility, you get your electricity, it goes into your vehicle. The key behind this really is something we call bidirectionality. So it's not just charging your the battery in your EV, but it's actually discharging power from your EV into your home. And so with other hardware that we'll be able to supply uh, late next year, which one would be a home hub, another one could be stationary storage actually on the side of your home. And also we're working with SunPower, which is one of the largest solar companies here in the United States, to provide solar services uh, that would allow 
EV consumers and home consumers to use renewable solar energy for powering their EV battery or powering their home. And so what we'll be doing is providing a software platform in addition to that hardware to really make all of that energy management seamless for those residential customers. So you have a mobile app and you'll say, today I'm going you know, to, to work, I need 50 miles on my EV, but I'm willing to charge whenever you tell me it's the best time to charge. And so through the software that we have, we will work with your local utility and decide the best time for you to charge overnight, early in the morning, so that you're actually filling up your EV battery with a cheaper cost of energy. Again, if we can combine that with solar and a stationary storage uh, pack on the side of your home, then you can use renewable energy and really have a sustainable energy source for your EV and for your home. Yeah, and sometimes that solar even goes back into the grid, right? And is it possible that some of this power will go back into the electrical grid? Jack, absolutely. And resiliency of the electrical grid is important. And so what I described before was what we call V2H, which is vehicle to home. The other aspect of the bidirectionality is vehicle to grid. And so local utilities, as they're working on peak demand and want to shave their peak demands and manage again, their energy needs for their customers in a very resilient and consistent manager, there may be times of the day when they say, hey, could you supply energy back to the electric grid and allow us to manage that peak that we're expecting? And so working with the utilities and being an interface and working with many, many, many EV and residential customers, we can actually aggregate the energy from those homes and from those EV batteries and work with the utility in a kind of behind the scenes, very consistent manner to provide sources of, of energy for that utility and, and then provide some savings to our customers because the utilities are willing to pay for that. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, electricity is a, a very fragile commodity, right? I mean, mostly it has to be used as it's being created. Storage is, is an issue. Certainly batteries are the way to store it or a way to store it that's mm-hmm. uh, traditionally been out there and they're getting better and better. Having a home storage, home battery, I imagine, you know, a fairly large capacity home battery gives you some backup should the grid go down. I live in Southern California. We've had <laughs> threats of that happening, you know, fairly uh, recently uh, and kind of ironically, actually, uh, <laughs> when it did happen. Uh, so tell us a bit more about that, how, how this is all going to work together. Yeah, and interestingly enough, the battery in your vehicle is a source of storage too, right? And so by connecting the EV and linking it through this bidirectional charger, which we can supply you with, and then managing it in the software platform that we'll put together, you'll be able to also use the battery in your car to power the home. So if there's a power outage, seamlessly you'll be able to be powering your home through your EV battery. Now, if your EV is not parked in your garage or you don't have an EV, we also, as GM Energy, supply the stationary storage for the side of your house. And so it's another form of battery storage in addition to your EV battery or instead of your EV battery that we could supply to the home. Again, linked to solar, if that's what you prefer as a customer, that would allow you to get renewable and sustainable energy for free, basically, from from the sun. Well, it strikes me this implies that battery capacity in vehicles will get larger and larger over time or more capacity, maybe not heavier, <laughs> but more capacity, certainly. Is that something we're going to see, where we will see the fact that vehicles might have some excess energy that they could pump back into the house at times? Well, what we're seeing, too, from consumers is range anxiety is still important for EVs, yet people usually drive their EVs, say, 30 to 40 miles and so a day. And so there actually is extra capacity in that battery, given your use of that vehicle. And so along with the planning tools that we'll give you, we can say, hey, it's Wednesday. We've seen for the past seven Wednesdays, you've only driven 30 miles to work and back. Your battery can hold more than that. If there is a need for the grid to have additional power, will you allow us, GM Energy, to give that back, that capacity back to the utility 
and create some energy savings for you as a customer. Right, and some ba- and you know the battery can uh, then be uh, replenished at a at a proper time. Uh, right, when it's less expensive to replenish, and largely it's uh, invisible to you <laughs> as the consumer, right? No, and that is our absolute goal to create this seamless, invisible recommendation to our consumers that hey, press this button, and we will really help you with your energy cost management. Right. Well, we've talked about weather issues. Certainly, we had weather issues in Texas. I have uh, two daughters in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who went through a freeze-out and uh, you know right. failure of uh, the electrical grid. We've had that threatened here in Southern California. I, I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with the NERAD family, but it seems to follow us. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have any relatives right now in, in Florida, and Florida is experiencing you know horrible aftermath of mm-hmm. hurricane. Uh, that begs a lot of questions, I think, uh, about stored energy, what, what you do. I mean, we're so dependent on our energy. Walk me through, especially a situation like uh, the hurricane aftermath, where GM energy can be of use. Yeah, and there's an interesting story, actually, of a community that is 100% solar in central Florida that actually survived this and then continued through their solar and their stationary storage, which had stored energy, continued to have electricity in the aftermath of the hurricane, which is amazing. And so, Again, if the solar panel on your roof is there and the stationary storage remains on the side of your home, you can disconnect from the grid and, in a sense, be grid independent. And you could create what we call in the energy space a microgrid. And so if you go for either an hour or multiple days, by having that stationary storage on the side of your home filled with energy that is sourced either from the electric grid or from solar, you can provide that resiliency to your home and, and you know, in a, be in a much better position when these weather-related events occur. Well, I was just going to say, as I uh, was looking at the aftermath of, of what happened in Florida, you know, tragic uh, from Hurricane mm-hmm. Ian, it also struck me that having internal combustion engine vehicles that could get around in mm-hmm. the absence of electricity from the grid, you know, the, the grid failed right uh, across the board there in, in a lot of places. And I've been through hurricanes with my mother in years past in northern <laughs> Florida and, and gone through the same thing. So there, there has to be some kind of, uh, if as we move toward an all-electric future of transportation, we have to deal with that situation too. And I, I think probably you're, you're thinking about that very hard, aren't you? No, absolutely. And, and another example I saw on YouTube the other day, again, in Florida, very unfortunate But a consumer who had an EV in their garage also had a stationary storage box on the side of their home. They had solar on their roof, and they were actually filming with water all around their house that their car was still being charged by the stationary storage, the energy that they had stored on the side of their home. And so we are providing a solution for some of these weather events, absolutely. And it's not only for residential customers, it's for businesses too. And uh, is there some um, potential of having kind of emergency service charging ability, you know, mobile charging that will get a lot of vehicles up and running? Should we run into that situation where, say, 50, 90 percent of the vehicles are electric vehicles going forward? No, and actually that there is a lot of white space in this energy ecosystem. And even within GM and, and talking to other partners, we've started to talk about we don't have these products or services yet, but exactly what you're mentioning, this mobile charging units, which could basically be large batteries on wheels that in fact could be brought into emergency situations and be support. Uh, GM has a real history in working in those kind of situations with our OnStar, OnStar connectivity. And so combining those two pieces together is a future product and service that certainly we can think about and bring to market. We don't have a ton of time left, but talk a little bit about uh, Ultium Commercial and, and how businesses and, and other commercial entities can participate. 
No, and Jack, a lot of the same things that we've talked about um, providing the resiliency to your home, it's important for a business too. We have many of our fleet customers currently who say, hey, we want to electrify our fleets, we want to you know, electrify our businesses, but they really don't understand what that means. And they understand buying the vehicle, but they don't understand how do we put the charging infrastructure in place? How do we build resiliency with stationary storage? And one of the, the future products too that we'll have is a commercial stationary storage unit, which actually has chargers attached. So if you have a power outage, not only could that large stationary storage unit supply power to your business, but you would be ensured that you actually could use it to charge up your EV fleet as you go to the electrification. And so for commercial businesses specifically, we really will be providing a strategic advisor role as much as a seller of hardware and software. We'll be there to guide you on what the best options are, what's unique for you, and we'll be with you from day one to day 101 because every day we'll be there to help you manage your energy services through our software solutions. We're seeing advances in energy and, and battery technology, certainly battery technology. Are we seeing similar advances in, in solar and other renewable? Uh, are, are they getting better? Are they getting more efficient? I, I'm thinking a, a solar array that's going to solve the, the problem for a commercial fleet is, is going to be one hell of a big uh, solar array, right? Yeah, no, and we've seen a lot of advancements over the last few years, both in the cost and the service of solar units. And so, yes, they are they are much more effective than they were, say, five years ago. Um, another reason why we're partnering with SunPower, because they are an expert in solar, although GM has ton of expertise in battery technology, and it's important here, we don't have the expertise in solar, which is why it's important for us to partner with SunPower, SunPower which we are. Right. Well, terrific stuff. I wish we had more time to talk about this, Mark, because it's fascinating stuff, and I think we're just scratching the surface, but all of this stuff is available. How would uh, our listeners find out more? There's a GM Energy website. You can go on there and sign up, and uh, we'll be in touch with you soon. So again, thank you very much, Jack, for, for talking to us. We're extremely excited today, and look for a lot from us in 2023. They'll get in touch with us, but nobody will tell me that I have $7,000 from the federal government uh, <laughs> allowing me to put solar panels on my roof. We'll... We're, we're working to make sense of that, too, for our customers. So some opportunities there. Okay, very good. Well, Mark Bull, uh, Vice President and Head of Battery Solutions at General Motors, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. I learned a lot. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your time. Take care. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you, and it's listener question time. We love to take your listener questions, and I think, Chris, you have a good one for us this week. Uh, I think it's something a lot of people are dealing with. What's the question? Yeah, so this one's from Chester in Bend, Oregon, Jack. And Chester says uh, he's shopping for a new cars, and he's seeing that there still aren't very many out there on dealers' lots, but he felt like the, the shortage would be over with by now. We've been doing this for a while now. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us thought, okay, this is a short-term thing. Uh, we're going to see inventory shortages because factories were shut down during COVID. And that seems like so far back in the rearview mirror, at least for me. And yet we're still running into inventory shortages. And they're out there. I mean, this is real. What Chester is experiencing is absolutely real. I was just talking to my friends at J.D. Power recently, and they say that uh, the inventory shortages this year are worse than last year. Maybe there was some backlog last year and they haven't been able to catch up, but this has been a very tough year for inventory and it's had a, 
many, many effects uh, on dealers and on pricing and just a whole bunch of things. Yeah, it's tough to find almost any new model. You know, looking at the dealership down the street from me, that's a Hyundai dealership. They've got, I think, two brand new uh, Tucsons sitting on the lot and a couple of Santa Fe's and then a whole lot of used cars. So <laughs> uh, we're still looking at, at coming out of this where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is that used cars have gone down in value a little bit, or in in general. I mean, they're they're not quite priced the way they were in the in the midst of this inventory shortage. But we're still seeing big time inventory shortages of of new vehicles, and thus people, many people, are paying well over sticker for the vehicle that they're buying, and uh, <laughs> you know that's. That's difficult to swallow, isn't it? Yeah, we spent many, many years telling people to avoid rolling negative equity into their next car loan, and now we're looking at people taking on that equity right at the dealer without even a trade. So uh, it's going to be a tough when they go to sell those things down the road, I think. Right. Well, I think that's our show for this week, and I'm so glad that uh, you're not as grievously injured as, as we thought you were, Chris, and glad that you're back on the show. We appreciate it. Well, I'm going to try to complete a whole month with no sicknesses or or injuries, but uh, thanks everybody for listening. I'll say if you like what you heard, check out the sportsmapradio.com website. There you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule. Uh, you can find our podcast on all the major platforms as well as a formatted radio version of the show. Right, and uh, please look for my new book, Dance in the Dark. It's on Amazon right now. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a, it's a fun read uh, and uh, maybe a nice Christmas gift for somebody out there. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. We do appreciate it. And join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. <laughs>